Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. to the Explaining History podcast. Um, today um, I want to talk about a very interesting essay written by Eric Hobsbawm uh, on the subject of Germany and the Jews. Now normally when this topic is mentioned, one's thoughts get linked instinctively to the, the Holocaust. Uh, and yet there had been uh, a life and a culture of Jewish people in Germany for uh, centuries uh, before um, the advent of Hitler. And the relationship between the Jews and the uh, 19th century uh, German state that develops after 1871 is a very interesting one and a very complex one. Uh, and Hobsbawm writes about it in detail. And I think it's really important to remember these kinds of things because we're at risk of simply reducing uh, German and indeed European Jews uh, to a brief moment of victimhood during the Second World War, instead of remembering that there is a, a rich and vibrant and very complicated culture uh, of uh, Jewish people uh, in Europe um, long, long before uh, the advent of the Nazis. Now, I'm uh, referencing um, Eric Hobsbawm's essays, Fractured Times, but if you'd like to read more about this, uh, get the uh, interviews between Tony Judd and uh, Timothy Snyder thinking the 20th century, uh, because they, uh, there is a, a fascinating examination, largely due to uh, Judd's uh, own Jewish background, of um, Jewish life in Europe and the Jewish diaspora in Europe um, before uh, the dawn of the 20th century. So the first thing that Hobsbawm points out is that uh, in the 20th century, before the Holocaust, the um, Jewish peoples combined worldwide uh, comprised less than 1% of world population. And yet their involvement in uh, cultural and intellectual life and the contribution that Jewish people made to this in the 20th century is simply staggering. You only need to think of Freud and Einstein as uh, standout examples, um, but uh, Jewish people uh, in terms of uh, 20th century thought, philosophy, music, arts, culture, letters, 
and all the rest uh, are vastly, vastly uh, able to punch above their, their demographic weight. Hobsbawm points out that um, prior to the French Revolution, Jews in Europe were shut out of public life, and for much of ancient and medieval and early modern history, Jewish communities in Europe, understandably, were largely introspective and inward-looking. And there seems to be some uh, clear relationship between the advent of modernity and the greater integration uh, and assimilation of uh, Jews into European society and the, uh, the greater abilities to do this and the, the, uh, the avenues uh, in which to become part of uh, European establishments and uh, economic and cultural elites. And Hobsbawm points out that um, the Talmudic and um, religious um, teachings within uh, Jewish centres of learning were focused mainly on, or solely, on um, Jewish religious matters, and um, this really accounts for Jewish introspection prior to the 19th century. It was the Enlightenment that brought about Jewish emancipation um, across Europe, um, and the real uh, benefits of the 18th century Enlightenment, Hobsbawm points out, are felt in the early 19th century. Um, you have, for example, Marx, born in 1818, just after the end of the Napoleonic Wars, in Trier, on what is now the Franco-German border, in a part of the world heavily influenced by uh, Napoleon's Enlightenment influences, um, and the family that he was born into had uh, really uh, abandoned its Jewish faith and had uh, adopted Lutheranism as a way to integrate into um, German society. It was perceived to be good for the family business. Um, there is, it's no wonder that um, nearly uh, a, cent well, a century later that Hitler pledged to overturn the Enlightenment to, um, you know, in, in part, uh, for, for many reasons, but in part to reclassify Jews as purely a racial subcategory uh, and not uh, to uh, allow this kind of, as Hitler saw it, this pollution of a German-ness uh, by allowing people to reclassify themselves um, religiously and then assimilate into society. The um, uh, contribution that Marx makes, obviously, to history and economics is matched by uh, another Jew, David Ricardo, um, who, uh, on the other side of things, was one of the first kind of intellectual proponents of free markets. Between them, Marx and Ricardo really create our, our modern framework of, of capitalism, obviously not forgetting uh, Adam Smith, um, but both of them are deep theorists of the workings of capitalism. Um, and both have far more in common in what they argue than perhaps their admirers or detractors would, would choose to realise. So in this example alone, you have this outpouring of Jewish talent in um, the in the field of history, um, what they are are essentially economic historians and are presenting um, theories of this extraordinary new phenomenon uh, of the beginnings really of, of globalization and on world capitalism um, and, and trying to interpret where it comes from, what it means and where it's going.
Hobsbawm makes a very interesting point in that he says that uh, a great many of histor uh, a great many historians of um, the Jewish people and Jewish culture tend to write about how the outside world impacted upon Jews and understandably living in uh, a, a post Holocaust world it would be uh, it's a, a convenient uh, path to go down it's a convenient trope but the um, the history of how Jews have shaped the outside world is um, a far less travelled travelled um, argument and discussion, partly because there some there is always the uh, the anxiety of being uh, open to the accusation of anti-Semitism, you know, the the Jews influencing things and all that kind of conspiratorial thinking. But there have been some historians who've been able to uh, interpret and understand and explore the, the tendency within Germany, uh, within France, and even with, within Great Britain, for Jews to become assimilated into national societies. Uh, throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, as we see the development of uh, nation-states and national cultures, there was understandably on the part of diasporas and minorities a desire to be involved in all of this, to participate and to be, to be included. Most um, German Jews, in uh, nearly all German Jews in point of fact, uh, prior to the advent of Hitler, um, wished to see themselves as German first. Um, there was extremely little um, separatism amongst Jews in Germany, um, and the embracing of, Jew of German national identity uh, was a, a, a very important thing for uh, countless uh, Jewish people at the time. Post-Holocaust, post-Hitler, it becomes extremely difficult for historians and for onlookers to perceive this, and this is again one of the kind of the toxifying things about Nazism. Primo Levi famously said when he came home from Auschwitz to Italy that he could never be an Italian again. He would now always be a Jew. He could never be anything else. And Primo Levi again was a highly assimilated Italian Jew who viewed himself as Italian prior to the war. And uh, Judaism for him as uh, a fairly secular thinker was not uh, a, a huge part of his identity. Uh, Hobsbawm points out that when Jews that fled Nazi Germany, those that resettled in places like uh, Britain and the USA, brought with them not just Jewish culture, but German culture. They brought with them Kant and Nietzsche and Goethe uh, and Brecht. And this makes sense. In fact, it actually shows shines more of a, a spotlight on our presumptions and the Hollywoodization of the Holocaust and the Hollywoodization uh, of Jewish culture uh, than uh, anything else. It makes perfect sense that um, a, a, a culture as rich and varied as German culture, uh, which had only previously, in a, a matter of half a decade, uh, been uh, earlier been disrupted by the advent of Nazism, would still have been immensely valuable to those people who had grown up fully immersed in it and fully embracing it. Um, and the, the kind of that, that slightly more Hollywood version of this, this diaspora vision uh, is one where Jews are Jews, Germans are Germans, which again is... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's really a kind of a, a legacy of um, post-Holocaust collective thinking. And of course, the development of this kind of cultural affiliation is all based in, in language. Um, where Jewish schools tended to abandon Yiddish for German. The uh, point that uh, Tony Judd and Timothy Snyder make in uh, Thinking the 20th Century is that the Jews of Berlin and the Jews of Vienna tended to have very little to do with the Jews of Łódź or Krakow or Warsaw, um, and saw them really as the uh, the kind of the the backward country cousins uh, more than anything else, um, and assimilated Jews <coughs> in countries like Germany and the Austro-Hungarian Empire would have had higher living standards, um, would have been better off, would have been more urban, educated less likely to um, have worked with their hands, more likely to have been in white-collar roles, that kind of thing. And it's these sorts of uh, processes of urbanisation in the 19th century that make significant differences between individuals. Lived experience is really rather different. And the Jews of the Russian Empire had it significantly harder in the 19th century uh, than uh, Jews uh, in the Kaiserreich or in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, the Russian Empire, uh, and paradoxically, the French Republic are those who experienced pogroms. It was at the time of the Dreyfus Affair in uh, France that, uh, so the story goes, Theodore Herzl, uh, the founder of modern Zionism, uh, saw uh, vast outpourings of hate towards the Jews, um, much of it whipped up by uh, the, the uh, Republic uh, and concluded that there was no place for Jews in Europe and a uh, Zionist uh, alternative was necessary. Though it should be added, though, that Polish Zionists actually, um, there were branches of Polish Zionism that believed that Zion could be found in Poland, that uh, Jewish, the, the Jewish good life, the uh, homeland for the Jews, could be in Poland, but not as a separatist homeland carved out of Poland, but uh, as a uh, homeland 
where Jews lived alongside in harmony with Poles. And if you want to explore that one further, um, you can listen to my podcast, um, Poland, Palestine and Zionism, which I did last year sometime, all based around Timothy Snyder's brilliant book, Black Earth. One of the great ironies of uh, German culture in the Austro-Hungarian Empire um, that Hobsbawm points out is that because you have a kind of pan-European um, Jewish diaspora um, that is dominated by uh, German Jews and uh, German language Jews, so Jews in Austria and Czech, and what is now Czechoslovakia and places like that, mm-hmm. who spoke um, German, and the fact that you have Germans from uh, uh, Jews from the Russian Empire coming to um, Germany and from the Austro-Hungarian Empire coming to Germany, so you have multicultural um, Jews who understand Russian and uh, Austrian and other languages. Um, This pool of German-identifying Jewish people um, often were, uh, who are often quite mobile, quite able to um, up sticks and and move around, um, were those that carried German culture to the more, uh, the the, the kind of the more... um, uh, outer-lying parts of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so parts of the um, the Balkans, for example, and they would constitute part of the German-speaking bourgeoisie in those areas. So the Jews of Germany and the Austro-Hungarian Empire were a transmitter of German culture in the uh, mid to late 19th century. Obviously, the Nazis, in all their ignorance, would have had no knowledge of this uh, whatsoever and would have uh, utterly dismissed it as a possibility, but it appears to be real nonetheless. And to these um, Germanic Jews, German was immensely um, immensely attractive as a language. Um, from the, the, the inward-looking world of um, Yiddish language, um, the world of German was really the language of the Enlightenment, um, and there was um, a uh, by accessing German, one could move away from the shtetl, the uh, small Jewish village, um, and all the backwardness that that sometimes represented. Hobsbawm has a wonderful turn of phrase. He says, "It's easier to sentimentalize the shtetl." Now that no longer uh, now that it no longer exists, than it was when young men and women had to live in it. There was a, a difference between wanting to be German um, and really wanting to assimilate into the German bourgeoisie, which was the real goal. Um, there was obviously little enthusiasm to uh, assimilate into the, the German working class, and absolutely no possibility of assimilating into the German aristocracy. It was obviously um, Hitler and the Nazis that put a a racial classification on the Jews. And most Jews didn't look at it in these terms. Um, uh, Most Jews didn't see themselves in the late 19th century as an ethnic community, uh, but as Hobsbawm puts it in Otto Bauer's words, a community of fate, a community with a shared history, a long and dramatic and often tragic story uh, that united them. There's another interesting point about Jewish politics as well. 
Um, Jew, Jews in Germany seemed to be more inclined to the kind of liberal left of the political spectrum, the SPD, that sort of thing. Whereas uh, Jews over the border in Russia um, were far more likely to follow a more revolutionary path with the development of the Bund Party uh, and later on the high incidences of Jews within uh, the uh, Social Revolutionary Party, uh, the Mensheviks and, and of course the Bolsheviks. And the relative ease of life for Jews in Germany prior to the First World War um, makes a real mockery of some of the arguments that are put forward, particularly you know, theses like uh, Daniel Goldhagen's idea of Hitler's willing executioners, that there was something innately genocidal about the German people, um, and that the German people were kind of culturally anti-Semitic. And the evidence shows, um, if that were the case, then it was far less so than France or Russia, and a, a theorist in 1890 that was told about a potential Holocaust happening uh, from 1939 onwards, probably have imagined it would have taken place in one of those two countries. Um, so yeah, Goldhagen's arguments are, are they don't really hold up here um, particularly well, but you know they've been rubbished by far better people than me. One of the um, aggregate, aggravating factors about Nazism was this relative tranquility that um, preceded it, um, that Jews had and everybody else really had no way of anticipating anything as uh, unimaginably monstrous as the, the Holocaust. And there were many Jews who um, refused really, even after thinking, events like Kristallnacht, to give up on Germany. They saw Hitler as a, a, an aberration. Um, and whilst I think that probably is the case, um, it was still uh, a, an aberration of significant... Uh, of historical uh, significance to result in the mass mass tragedy for Jewish people. And when we speak of loss and the Holocaust, obviously it's almost, almost impossible for those who haven't suffered it to really comprehend this. But one of the many losses to Jewish people are, of the Holocaust was their, their loss not just of a, a German uh, identity, but a European Enlightenment identity. Um, they were uh, disenfranchised from this. Um, the really the the nations formed of the Enlightenment turned on them, and finding a sense of place in Europe for survivors uh, at the end of the war is extremely difficult. Uh, not only uh, do countries like uh, Palestine offer uh, some kind of sanctuary and possibility of future but of, there is the uh, ability to um, or the hope that a, a new kind of uh, culture in which to uh, live and thrive um, will present itself um, and offer some kind of alternative to that which has been lost whether that has actually occurred or not it's perhaps too early to say anyway i hope you enjoyed that and i'll catch you on the next explaining history podcast bye-bye 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.